0: Hello. We at Grace Covenant Church in Gunnison, Colorado are grateful and humbled that we get to be part of your sanctification today. We invite you to review our sermons online, but also stress the importance of being joined to a biblical local church, the life of the church, and the spiritual gifts God has given us to express in the church. Our website is www.gracegunnison.com. There you can find sermons and other resources, as well as our location and service times. The members of Grace Covenant Church Gunnison pray that the following messages will be a blessing to you. If you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew 8, and if you don't have a Bible, there are some scattered around here. In fact, if you don't have one, consider the Bible in front of you our gift to you. It's amazing as we travel through the, our text, as we travel through the Bible, it's amazing how full and dense the Gospels of Jesus Christ are, especially here in Matthew. And here in Matthew, we're in chapter 8, and this morning we're in verses 18 through 27. We've just seen how Jesus has preached an amazing sermon, how He's healed multitudes. Many have come to Him for healing. The crowds are gathering. And we see now that there's followers coming. We see that Jesus is... Now, testing the commitment of those that are following. He's challenging the faith and belief of those who are following. And that is the message of our sermon this morning. It's commitment of, the, of a true follower. Let's read our text this morning. If you'll read along in your Bibles. Again, we're picking up in verses 18 and through verse 27 of chapter 8. Hear the, the word of the Lord. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere. To nowhere to lay his head. Another of his disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. So that the boat was being covered with the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him saying save us Lord we are perishing. He said to them why are you afraid you men of little faith. Then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the sea and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, what kind of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Amen. This ends the reading of our text this morning. This is a very full text. There's much here. But every, as we look at this text, as we consider our own walks, every would-be follower must consider what you are signing up for. We must consider the task that's at hand. Now, as we think of following Jesus, before we follow Jesus, there must be a point of salvation, a point of conversion. And salvation itself is a free gift. Salvation is done entirely by Christ the Lord. We have no part in in our conversion, in our justification. It's Christ's work alone. But those who are saved continue to follow Jesus. And this following is costly. Your conversion costs you nothing. But your following the Lord will cost you everything. A disciple must be prepared to count the cost. When we think about discipleship, some words come to mind, and one of them being costly. Another dangerous, self-denying, sacrificial, these things are to be told to those who are coming to Christ that this is what you're signing up for. There's it's a life of suffering. Now there's glory to God. But to follow Christ is to go the way of Christ. In fact, one preacher early in his ministry, uh, Billy Graham, he said this, salvation is free, but discipleship costs everything we have. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a preacher from the early 1900s, the time of World War II, the time of Hitler. He was a German pastor. He spoke against Hitler. He spoke out against him, and because of that, he was martyred. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this when Christ calls a man or calls a woman, he bids him come and die. Come and die. And so the scene here, as we were, as we Think about where Jesus is. He had, he had just preached a sermon like no one ever has. He healed many. He's demonstrating his authority and his power, his, his compassion as well as he comes to those needy, sick, sin souls. And the crowds keep growing. And so he says, come on, let's go. Let's go to the other side. There was rest needed for one thing. In fact, he goes to the other side of the, he says sea, but it's actually the lake. It's the lake of of, of, of Galilee, or the lake of Gennesaret, some, some call it. And in the ancient times, they would call it a sea, but it was actually a lake. It was inland. And first we see these two followers. We're going to see three scenes, by the way. We're going to see two followers, and then we're going to see several followers, several disciples in the boat. But these first two followers, they are... Would be disciples, and they address Jesus each of them in their own way. This is this is very pertinent to us. It's very uh, uh, fitting for us because this is a warning for each of us as we follow Jesus. The warning, because there are many hindrances that will cause us to not follow. We will put up our own barriers. This keeps many from going on with God. Coming this just so far, but not all the way. And so we must think, where do your priorities, think of this yourself, I I can't look into your heart and see, but where do your priorities line up as it comes to following Jesus? As it comes to living for His kingdom? So first we see a testing of commitment. You know, He didn't just Whoever came to him, just sign them up. There was a testing. There was a count the cost. In fact, in our modern day evangelism, there is, if anyone has even an inkling to follow Jesus, it's, you know, come on in, you're saved now. Jesus didn't approach people that way. He asked them probing questions to count the cost. Our Lord tests all followers who will come after him, including you. And so first we see the scribe. The scribe is a teacher of the law. So this would have been someone with authority and knowledge in the scriptures. So you, you can imagine maybe some of his disciples thinking, look at this scribe. I mean, he's just what we need. You know, Jesus, sign him up. This, is, this, is, this will bring in the kingdom, this this knowledgeable scribe. But Jesus, in essence, is not so fast. I mean, this this man would have been what we would consider a, a doctor of divinity of of the day. He would have been someone that was highly educated. But Jesus checks him. We see first, we see that the scribe has a very assertive statement. Does he not? I mean, who could say it any better than what he said? The scribe says, teacher, I will follow you wherever you will go. You know, to the end of the earth, right? I mean, it sounds just... Wow, what a. He's, he's on fire, zealous, you know? And, but Jesus checks, Jesus knows our heart. He says, in essence, have you sat down and counted the cost? Have you considered what you're saying, what you're signing up for? He's testing the followers, this particular follower's personal comfort. He's saying, have you counted the cost of the way that I am going? The scribe was was ultra eager. I mean, he was enthusiastic, right? Much like many that we might come across who have a heat of the moment profession. Maybe they're at an event and they're overcome with emotion and they, in the heat of the moment, say, I'll follow Jesus without actually understanding that there is a path to follow. There is a coming to an re- end of yourself, to seeing the heinousness of your sin, repentance, and faith. And so we must remember that it's not merely a profession of faith, but do you possess faith? Is it something that has got a hold of you? Jesus is asking this person, this scribe, are you willing to give up home? Give up your home. Give up your personal security. Are you willing to give up your personal plans and your expectations? Question for us, right? You know, I've got my plans. Well, maybe those don't line up with the way Jesus' plans are. Are you willing to give up all? To forsake all? Now, Jesus here is not speaking so much in regard to say poverty in the situation as he is to priority and I, I can't help but continuing to remember later on in Matthew when Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler, Do you remember that and he says Lord what must I do in, in, to uh, in, inherit eternal life well follow the commandments and he said oh Lord which ones he named a few, oh yes Lord I've done all of those since my youth Jesus, knowing his heart, says, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and then follow me. And it says that the man had great wealth and he went away sorrowful. Now, Jesus wasn't saying that every follower has to give away all of their things necessarily. But what he was getting at was the priority. This man, the, the rich young ruler, was a covetous man. And more than likely, the scribe here was in the heat of the moment. He was seeing all the crowd stirred up and all go with, Jesus and you know i 'll be highly exalted, and Jesus is saying, no I'm, I live a life of humiliation if you were to come after me, this is the life you're expected and so he 's addressing our priority structures following Jesus is no walk in the park amen if it 's a walk in the park you're probably not following jesus it's it's a life of a service it's a taking up your cross, walking the way that He walked. And so Jesus tests this this would-be follower. He tests His commitment. Are you ready for this? Suffering, potential homelessness, humiliation, persecution. All who will desire to live godly in Jesus Christ will suffer persecution. The Bible tells us that. In fact earlier in the Beatitudes blessed are they, blessed are you if you are persecuted for my sake. Right? That's to be expected of the believer, the follower of Christ. You see there's what he's in essence telling this man and us that there are no king's palaces for us. There's no royal robe waiting for us. There's there's, this is a life of service. We come to serve. It is a life full of danger, full of toils and snares. And <laughs> The Christian life is, is not some uh, cruise liner. It's a battleship. It's, it's a call to war. It's a call to suffer, to bleed and die, and to serve your king. Whatever he calls, whatever that may be. And so as we apply this to our life, as we go scene by scene, if you will, through this text, the question we must ask ourselves and ask you is, is, is your earthly comfort more important to you than following Jesus? It's a hard, hard thing to consider, right? What about this? Is your financial security more important than following Jesus? Is your, is your home Is your pursuits, are your pursuits more important? Is your business, is your career more important than following Jesus? What takes first place? What is is priority number one in your life? Can you answer that? And when we think about commitment to Christ, you know, is, is it first, is it second, is it third Where where does it lie? Those are some things we should consider. When we think about our commitment to Christ, what what, what might uh, some of those things be? So in our life, things such as uh, your daily time hearing from the Lord. Now I don't mean hearing something out of the clouds. I'm talking about hearing in the Word of God. This is God speaking to you. When you open the Bible, He is speaking to you. How much time daily are you devoting to listening to Him? Or speaking to Him? When we go to God in prayer, is that that something that's important to you? Is that high on your list? To commune with your Father in prayer. What about service in the church? As we seek to serve Christ's church, Christ's people. How important is that to be with His people? When we think about our work week or the things we do during the week, how important is the first day of that week, the Lord's Day? Uh, I trust that it is important because I see you in front of me this morning. But to devote that first day of the week to honoring the Lord, to being in His house, to understanding that sacred day of worship. Sitting under the preaching of the word as we all are, to fellowshipping with the saints, to stimulating you to growth in the Lord as we invigorate, as we are invigorated by the Holy Spirit, to go out and to survive the next six days until we can come back again and gather again. I hope this is important to you. How about evangelism? The work that He's called us to, to be a witness to a dying, dark world. We are in prime place to do that. To a a land, a a people, an area that has zero priority for God. We see it every day as we drive to the worship service this morning. There's no consideration of God. But we have a, a field that's plentiful to go out and Jesus says that the harvest... Is ready. The workers are few. When you hear what Jesus said to this first scribe, did you catch Jesus' Jesus' description of himself? Did you catch the word he used? Don't miss this. He he uses this often of himself in the Gospels. What does he say? The Son of Man. The Son of Man. This is. I hope you caught that. And. Most of you are not growing up in a in the Jewish culture as many the first century hearers that heard this, but when he said son of man, that would have the Jews would have alerted to that very quickly. In fact, this scribe would have really alerted to it. Because this is a name that's only meant for one person, and that is the Messiah. He is in essence calling himself, claiming himself to be the Messiah by using this name. He is claiming that He is God in the flesh. That He is God with us. That He is Emmanuel. That's what He's saying right there. So don't cross over that. Son of Man. It's used some 88 times in the New Testament. That's a lot. But not only in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, it's used 107 times. 107, in fact, I want us to see how and where it's used is it Isaiah? Excuse me, not Isaiah. In Daniel. If you want to turn to Daniel, so it's in the, the latter part of your Old Testament, so don't turn very far back. But uh, if you go um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then Daniel. So right before Hosea. But if you look at Daniel 7, I just want you to see this, because this is so important for us to know this for the rest of our Time in the gospel. So Daniel is getting visions. He's Daniel is a prophet of the Lord, and here in Daniel thirteen, if you want to pick up there, he says, "I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the ancient of days." and was presented before Him. And to Him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Here He's speaking of the same kingdom that we've been reading about in Matthew. And that kingdom has a king and it is the anointed one the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is now, don't miss the importance because it is, to the hearers at this time, it has been 400 years of silence. No prophets, nothing since Malachi. They have heard nothing from the Lord until John the Baptist, really. John the Baptist comes and now they're hearing from the Lord. Now this man, Jesus, says, I am the Son of Man. I'm the Messiah. So put yourself in the place here. This title of Messiah is speaking of his his humanity, his deity, and really the fulfillment of prophecy, fulfillment of Daniel. He is the last Adam. He is the one that came to reverse the curse that Adam brought. He is the anointed one to come. When we think about priorities, you and I, Followers of Jesus. What was Jesus' first priority? What was His number one priority? It was to do the will of the Father. It was to do the will of the Father. Well, Jesus' disciples, you and I, followers, we are to be doing what Jesus was doing. Now, not in the sense of redemption, but following what He has has, um, taught us what He is teaching us, what He is continuing to send us to do. So a true faithful follower follows His Master. which that means That means it's our first priority. We must ask ourselves if we counted the cost. Are we determined to go where He sends? To do what He's commanded? Suffer whatever He may call us to do. To seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And now we come... To the second scene, right? Here comes another disciple coming after Jesus. They haven't got on the boat yet, but they're going towards the boat. There's lots of followers, you see, but there's different commitment levels of these followers. Some are not going to be true followers, some are going to turn away. Some are going to go all in. They're going to get on the boat. And they're going to stay with Christ. Notice his first statement. It's in a it's really in a question form. It, It doesn't have a question mark, but it it sounds like a question. You know, Lord, permit me to go and bury my father. Well, the first person, the scribe, was too eager. He was much too eager to follow. But this second one, he's much too unready to follow. You see, he's got an excuse. Now, we might say, well... You know, family's important, and you know, Jesus, don't you think it's more important to go take care of your family? He's not saying that family is not important. What he's addressing in this whole context is your priorities. Where, where does your priorities lie here? This is what he's trying to call our attention to. And so Jesus tests his commitment. He he tests this excuse maker. How many excuses do we make from time to time? We're full of them, are we not? We can, we can excuse our disservice to the Lord or, you know, I'll come later, Lord. I was gonna ask the kiddo, some of the kids, this question, you know, when a mother calls you and she says, Come here, dinner's ready. And you come, but it's 45 minutes later, did you obey? No. You didn't. You delayed and you didn't come when you were told, when you were commanded to. And we like that. We do, we do that too as adults. You know? I'll, as soon as I finish this, Lord. I'm coming, Lord. Lord says, come. Follow me. See, his, his answer here, Jesus' answer, emphasizes that nothing can take priority Priority over him and following him, even good things like family, good things like our work. He's saying your priority needs to have Christ at the center, Christ at the first part. Jesus disallows excuse making. Like I said, it may be considered hard sayings here. Like Jesus, can't you? You know, can't you see that? But in the culture, so when we think about the culture of the time, this person is not saying, more than likely, he's not saying, my, my father's already dead, let me go bury him. Because he'd probably be stinking pretty bad. They didn't have empalming practices. What he's probably saying is, my father's in the later stages of life, and let me attend to him until he passes, and then I'll follow you. So it was that type of excuse making. And basically he's saying, when he says, let the dead bury their dead, he's saying, let the spiritually dead, Buried a physical debt. That's what he's getting at. He's saying, he's saying, I want total commitment, not excuse making. He, he's, Jesus is saying, I will be second to nothing. In fact, if I am not first, I am I'm last. He says, come and follow me. Let, 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 the, let the worldly take care of the worldly. You come and follow me. We have, we have a job to do. What he's dealing with, what Jesus is dealing with, is delay tactics that all of us are quite good at he's dealing with procrastination and excuse making he says come and follow me we have a message to preach we have a gospel to get out a gospel to proclaim we have a ministry to fulfill come follow me this is what I've called you to do in fact he's saying to his would be followers you and I if I am truly Lord then follow me Now, if I'm not your Lord, then go do what you want to do. Go follow your own ways. It'll lead to destruction. But he says, if I am Lord, the one who's come to save you, then follow me. Many of us, many of us, even many Christians, are greatly hindered by things that are good, things that are lawful. But we put them in the wrong priority. We rank things higher than the things of Christ's kingdom. Things that are good. But the problem is where we put them. We put things in front of Christ, in front of following Him. Have you counted the cost in following? Some of our songs that we sing to to leave off and follow Jesus. Are your personal interests taking precedence over Him? You see, if He is Lord, and He is, but if He is your Lord, then His work and His kingdom will take precedence over all. So when we think about our priorities, your physical life, your business, your job, your hobbies, should all become subservient or behind those things of Christ, following Him. We should leave worldly business to worldly men. We should let secular business take a back seat to your spiritual business. It doesn't mean don't be diligent with your work. It means don't put that before your spiritual life. Don't get things out of order. George Whitfield, one of the greatest preachers the church has ever known. Back in the 1700s, George Whitfield he preached this. He said this, let your worldly business be left undone rather than you should neglect to follow Christ. No business, though ever so important, can justify a a neglect of true religion. That is the word of Jesus Christ, neglecting that. Friends, when each of us cross over that great divide, cross over that, that precipice and enter the life to come, these vain pursuits that many of us hold on to will mean nothing. Nothing in comparison to our eternal destiny. And so we need to live this day with that understanding. Devoting our life to the things of the Lord. To following Him and what He's commanded us in Scripture. To be able to say as Paul did. Do you remember he said, for me to live is Christ or for me to die is Christ. So whether I live or whether I die, it is unto Christ.
1: That understanding
0: that it's all about Him. Now it wasn't before he was saved. Before he was saved for Paul, it was, about, it was about works religion. It wasn't about true religion. It was about doing this and doing this and following the law, the things that he thought was going to save him. But after he was saved on the road to Damascus, things changed for him. He understood that Christ had died for him. He understood that Christ is the one that brings redemption. And now I want to live for Him He wanted to preach the gospel to those the the Gentiles. And then we come to this third scene. We see that Jesus here is talking about forsaking all to follow Him. And now we come to the third scene. We see a testing of the disciples in the boat. There are several disciples. We don't know how many. But the boat would be about about 23 foot long. So you can imagine the size of it. About 7 foot wide. That was the size of some of these boats and actually archaeologists archaeologists have found some of these boats in this area. In fact, we actually went out on one when when we were in the Sea of Galilee. It's it's bigger than a canoe, but it's not some yacht. It's a a small boat. And you can imagine what's happening. So in verse 23 to 27, we see this testing of faith, this testing of belief. As I said before, a true disciple will follow where the Lord leads. He said, get on the boat. So they get on the boat. They've already counted the cost. But are you prepared for the cost that are to come? It may cost you everything. And it may cost you your personal safety, your physical life. Which do you have more concern for? That or following and obeying your Lord and Master? Do you truly believe? Believe in his power and authority and ability to save? So here they say a great storm came. Now, storms would come sporadically in this area. So you have the Sea of Galilee. It's about 600 feet below sea level. It's a very low lake. And you have high hills or what they call mountains. That's in Colorado, probably wouldn't call them mountains. But they have high areas around this. And so because of that, you have, and it's inland. So it's in the northern part of Israel. It's inland from the Mediterranean. And you have violent storms that could come because of the, the wind currents and the currents in the sea. But these fishermen, these were fishermen. They, they knew about these. So it wasn't like they'd never experienced these storms, right? But this must have been a great storm by what happens. And they're on the, it says the sea, but really the lake. So they're on the lake, Lake of Galilee. And what happens? What does the text say? Behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. So the boat was being covered with waves. Where is Jesus? Well, he's on the cushion in the front of the boat. Sound asleep, right? He's not worried about a thing. And what happened? They come to him. So these are fishermen, right? These are experienced men of the sea. And they are scared to death. And it says they came to him and woke him. And with this terrifying plea, they reach out to him. Jesus is asleep, right? So he's, remember his humanity. He's, he came to be like us, flesh and blood, with, but without sin. He's just preached his heart out. He's just been saving people in these miracles. And so he's tired. He goes to sleep. He has total trust in, in his father over all things. So we see his full humanity and we also see that He is truly God that we're going to see in, a few, in just a few verses. He's going to demonstrate this without a doubt. But the disciples here, they were believers. <coughs> they've gotten on the boat, right? Their, their, their faith, has been, they've been given faith. I mean, they're, they're faith in Jesus, they're on the boat, but now that faith is getting tested. We see the testing comes in the elements of nature. Elements of nature here that all of these folks are dealing with. But it must have been a strong storm. I mean, for, for these experienced fishermen to go try to wake the carpenter up, you know, like, they were dead the of their rope, right? They didn't know what to do. It's beyond our, well, let's go check with Jesus, you know? And they, they come to Him, and what do, they fran- what do they frantically call out? Save us. I mean, you can hear the desperation. Save us. Lord, we are perishing. Now, I want to look at this statement two ways. I want to see that there are some positives in this call, this call to be saved. And I want to see the negatives in this call, too. So the positives here save us, Lord. He is, the, he is the Savior. They're going to the one who can save him. Now for the unbeliever, the one that has not come to faith in Christ, this needs to be your plea for you all are perishing. But the Bible says you are under condemnation right now. So the plea should be, Lord, save me. I am perishing. And that would be an accurate statement to an unbeliever. I am perishing. But to the the believer, the one that's on the boat. What's happened here is fear has taken the place of faith. Those things are polar opposites. And so the fear has crept in to these men. Can you can you hear the fearful reaction in their circumstances? So the circumstances are the, the storm. It is as if they're saying, "Lord, where are you?" Now, you've all been in storms, I'm sure. If you haven't been in a storm, you haven't lived long enough, but I can tell we've all been in storms, right? Okay, these are things that we might cry out in our unbelief. Lord, where are you? I mean, where are you in this horrible circumstance? Lord, you're asleep? Wake up. You're asleep? How can you sleep? You know, here we are pleading as if we know more. Lord, don't you see the trouble I'm in? I mean, this is so bad. No one, is, no one has ever been in this, this kind of trouble, right? Do we not do that? I'm the only one for me. Lord, don't you even care? In one of the other Gospels, it said, they, 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 they call that to you. Lord, don't you even care?
1: Is that not what
0: we do when we think we're at the end of our rope? Lord, don't you even care? We're questioning His love when we say that. Don't you love me? Lord, you are the one, the, or maybe this, Lord, you are the one that called us out on this boat in the first place. <laughs> right? You've been called. God sent you somewhere. Lord, you, you brought me out here. And so we're, we're almost like those Israelites of old, you know, Lord, were there not enough graves on the this, on this shore that you had to bring us out here to die in the bottom of the sea. You know, the, the unbelief that's just being stated here this is this is franticness, worry and anxiety. In fact, worry and anxiety say two things. What they say is they, they say that we question the Lord's care. We question his love and compassion. That's what we're doing. Whether we admit it or not. The other thing worry and anxiety does is we question God's ability, his power to to do to, to save, basically. That's what we're doing. What is Jesus' response? What he's telling them, what he's showing us, is that the the greater storm was not on the lake, but it was in their souls. When you are in the pit, when you are in the, the, the pit of despair, when you are in the storm of storms, there is more danger in your soul than what's happening on the external, outside of you. Right? We we, we cause more storms and turmoil inside than what's actually coming on the outside. So usually it's our unbelief that is a much greater hazard than the danger that's out there. Is that not right? Have you experienced that? Anybody? It's the inside that's happening. In fact, Charles Spurgeon said this: all the trouble in the world cannot harm you so much as a half a grain of unbelief. Unbelief. That's what they're doing. Far from wanting to destroy us, the Lord tests and tries our faith. He's testing us in order to strengthen us. He's deepening our belief and our trust in Him through every trial you're in. There's no trial that comes upon you that is for no reason. There's no just happenings that you just happen to fall in this. No, the Lord is sovereign over these things. And so look what he says. Well, first of all, Jesus does two things. First, he rebukes his disciples gently. And then he rebukes nature itself. He starts off and he says, Why are you afraid? You men of little faith. Notice he doesn't say you men of no faith. Jesus is giving them faith. Why are you so afraid? I mean, you're in the boat with me, God's saying. I brought you into this boat. Where is your trust? This unbelief. Now, all of us have been in this boat. Maybe you're in the boat now. Maybe you'll be in it next week. But this boat of turmoil, the waves are crashing down. You can't see the boat because the waves are so high. I'm going to perish. Where is your faith? This fear has overtaken the faith of these disciples. And then Jesus rebukes nature itself. He rebukes the wind and the sea. He speaks to creation and His created universe obeys. It's as if He's saying, Your Master is here. Be still. Now when there's a big... Wind storm. when there's a big storm on the ocean, the winds may die down, but the sea will stay turbulent until morning time. But when Jesus spoke, plastic. Absolutely no waves, and the wind stops. This show, showing his power over the natural world. He showed His power over sicknesses earlier, over the demon of the spiritual world, the supernatural, and now His power over all creation. He, for the Word, immediately everything went smooth. It shows his, his true sovereignty that nothing happens outside of His direction. There's no um, coincidences. The same power that rules the thunder, that controls the flashes of lightning, also rules the calm and the still. The same God is over control of both of those. The the psalm that Chris read earlier from Psalm 107 speaks to this, of the stilling of the waters and the stilling of the sea. There's another psalm in Psalm 89 where the psalmist speaks to the same power of God. This is Here I'll be reading to you Psalm 89 verse 5 through 9. The heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord. Your faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies is comparable to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty is like the Lord? A God greatly feared in the council of the holy ones and awesome above all those who are around Him. O oh Lord, God of hosts, who is like You? O oh mighty Lord, Your faithfulness also surrounds You. And then verse 9, You rule the swelling of the sea. When its waves rise, we still them. This is the power of our God. This is the power of our God over the storms that you will go through. And what happens next? Here at the last. The men on the boat are amazed. I mean, they have gone from fear to to calmness to awestruckness. They have, most likely, they have been in this. Fear of self preservation, like you know, we're going to die, that type of fear. And now it's turned to a holy fear of God. I mean, only God can do this. They just saw a man speak to creation and creation listen and obey. Have, have you ever seen that? We've never seen that in the flesh. These men were amazed. Astonished, they were probably scared to death. I imagine they were more scared now when the calm happened than they were in the storm. I mean, because they they knew the power of Jesus, but now they're in the boat and they see it and they're like, What is their reaction? Who is this man? Even the winds obey him. I mean, they were it's it's it reminds me of Isaiah in Isaiah 6. Where he came in the presence of the Lord, and he said, "Woe is me, for I am undone." And he went down. And Peter, when Peter got a revelation of Jesus in the, after the resurrection, and Peter said, "Depart from me, I am a sinful man." In the presence of this holy God, or John, or the Apostle John, in the Book of Revelation, where here he is, and he's confronted with the Lord Jesus, and He says, when I saw Him, I fell down like a dead man. That's what happens when you and I, as sinful men and women, come into the presence of of a holy God. It is all fear. They said, what kind of man is this? I ask you, have you come to the end of yourself where you have caught a glimpse of Jesus and you exclaim, Your own self. What kind of man is this? Oh, this is God. This is our beautiful Savior. This is Jehovah. God was with them. He he was in the boat with them. Do you see? In fact, more than that, they were in the boat with Him. They're in the boat with God in the flesh. And they're questioning, Lord, we're going to perish Do you realize, believer, that you are in the same boat with Jesus? If you have been saved by His grace, by faith in the Lord, you are in His boat. You are secure in this boat. Do you know how much God loves you? That you can trust Him in all circumstances that He brings your way. The boat... And the seas that the boat drift on are all under the control of a loving God. Why are you fearful? O ye of little faith. Why are we fearful? Our faith, believer, does have faith even though it may be little. And our faith doesn't keep us saved. Don't confuse... Your assurance of salvation with your salvation. They were on the boat. They, they, they were experiencing lack of assurance. you are going to perish. Jesus says, I've got you. I've got the boat. I've got the ocean. I've got, I mean, the deepest you could fall. If you fell to the bottom of the ocean, I, I still have you. You're still mine. That's what he's trying to tell us here. You know, He sends the trials to us to strengthen our faith. If you had no trials, if life was just like it was today, sunny and glorious out there, and you had no storms, your faith would not be very strong because it would not be tested. Life's not like that. He tests those whom He has called. I, I want you to realize this. When you experience a hard trial, never let a hard trial Pass you by without understanding the lesson that God is trying to show you. Christ is our steady anchor. And He is the one who steadies us and holds us fast through all these storms. Many times, to realize the worth of the anchor, we need to feel the strength of the storm. And then the next time, we hold tighter because we know He holds us tight. He is teaching us in our storms, in our trials, to rely completely on Christ, not on ourself. We have a tendency to rely on self. In fact, in our American culture, self-reliance is prized, but that's not what Jesus teaches. He says, rely on me. Rely on me. Trust in me. Our strength and courage and courage come from the Lord. Not from ourselves. As we close, I want to read another passage from Isaiah 43. We have this on a picture in our hallway as we leave the house. Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. Listen to this. But now, thus says the Lord, the Creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Fear not, believer. Fear not. He says, I will be with you. His people are always safe and secure. All the way to the end. All the way till eternity. And what the Lord is doing here, I pray with you this morning, is He is instructing us in His ways that the Lord will test the commitment of His followers. Have you counted the cost? And the Lord will also count, He will also test our faith. In the storms. So that we will lean harder upon Him. Leaning upon Jesus. Throwing ourselves upon Jesus. When we think about the demands of discipleship. The cost of discipleship. Following Him. Discipleship is thrilling. It's thrilling. It's full of all kinds of things. It's a life of going out into the deep waters. It's not the... The cozy just stay on the beach. He calls us to a, a dangerous calling. Going out of the deep waters, trusting him, following Jesus. So remember this. Remember this. Our loving Lord and Savior Jesus, he became poor for you. For me. He humbled himself. He humbled himself by coming in the likeness of men. He humbled himself. All the way to the point of death. He humbled himself by going to the cross. I want you to know what he left. He left the throne room on heaven. He left glory to come here. To this sin cursed world. To save lost sinners. That's what he left. If he's willing to leave that. What are you willing to leave? Believer, what are you willing to leave to follow Jesus? Is there anything that you wouldn't leave? Can you? I, I hope not. What is your commitment to Him? Where is Jesus in your life's priorities? Think about that as you go through your week. Where is He in my priorities? The commitment of every true follower is all in. All in. Meaning, he's going to ask you, will you follow me? What is our question? Well, where is that? No, no. We don't get to ask that. He says, will you follow me? Yes, wherever he takes. Wherever Wherever you lead me, I will follow, is the plea. And I pray that each of us can say that today and that we trust him in the storm, looking to Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, may we heed this text. Oh, this, this boat that these disciples are on, we understand this. We understand when the waves are covering us up. We understand the thought that we, are, we feel as if we are perishing and nothing could save us. Lord, may our plea be, Lord, save us. Save me. Lord, may we, may we have faith to trust you in the storm, to trust you no matter what we go through, that you have called us to this and that you are sovereignly over every single circumstance that any of us will ever be in. And Lord, for the one who has yet to come to you by faith, who is yet to truly believe, Lord, I pray that that would be their plea too. Lord, save me. I am perishing. Father, let none perish under the sound of my voice. But may they run to you for safety and security and for salvation. For you are a great, loving Savior. We thank you for your Son. We thank you for this Word. May it penetrate our heart and may we meditate on it. We thank you, Lord. Lord. Give us strength to our faith. Give us perseverance to follow you. May we count the cost and leave all, forsake all to follow Jesus. It's in his name and for his sake that we ask these things. Amen.